I missed last week, for those of you who do not realize, and Patrick was gracious to cover for me. Uh, I don't know if I had the flu or a bad cold. It doesn't matter. I felt terrible. But I felt like I should give it to Lori, and I did. And she went to the doctor. She got antibiotics. What are they? I suffered through it. But anyway, I'm feeling better, and thank you for your prayers. We're in John chapter 7 this morning, verses 10 through 31. And perhaps you've heard this saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. Well, we're going to talk about the Jewish people. We're going to talk about, in particular, Jesus' brothers, who at this point have not believed in him. And these are the brothers who grew up with Jesus. Jesus, of course, was the oldest brother. Mary uh, has learned to look to Jesus for support, financial support, because it's, uh, it's obvious at this time Joseph is dead. And Mary, we find out a little bit about her when she has a dialogue with Jesus at the uh, Canaan, Canaan wedding feast where Jesus turned the water into wine. So Mary has learned to depend on Jesus basically for the needs of the family. And you remember at that wedding, uh, she told the servants there, do whatever Jesus tells you. And these younger brothers of Jesus have probably looked upon Jesus as a father figure type in the home. But on the cross, we found that Jesus charged John the disciple to take care of Mary, his mother. So Jesus, from an early age, has been this support for Mary and for his siblings. And from the language of his brothers, as we'll get into the text, not believing in Jesus, you wonder, well, were they just heart of heart? I mean, it's kind of a puzzle why they don't believe in Jesus. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's just simply slow of heart and mind, but they don't believe in him. Maybe they're jealous of Jesus and the popularity that Jesus has in the Galilee area. And they urge Jesus, go up to Jerusalem. Show all the religious leaders there at temple who you claim to be. And then they go, if indeed you are the Christ. But we read in Scripture how a prophet is not accepted in his own home or hometown. And this was true of Jesus. And at this time, his brothers do not accept him. And they only believe in Jesus after his resurrection. So we pick up the story in John chapter 7, verse 10 through 24. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. 
but not openly, but as it was in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much, much murmuring among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Jesus, he goes up to Jerusalem after his brothers have already gone up, but he goes secretly. The religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, see his brothers, and these Jews are seeking Jesus, and they ask, where is he? And the people get caught up in the question of who Jesus is, and they begin to murmur. And some declare, Jesus is good. Others believe Jesus is a deceiver. But take note in verse 13, because of fear, no one spoke openly of Jesus. And you have to ask, what fear? Well, there was a great fear within the Jewish people of being excommunicated, being banned from temple. To be excommunicated was to be cast out of temple and your entire social life changed. Your financial life changed because a good Jew would no longer have any business dealings with you. And you were financially ruined to be cast out or excommunicated. <clears throat> a real fear for the people was to be kicked out of temple or excommunicated. So they do not lift their voices, they murmur, <clears throat> not daring to raise their voices. Verse 14, we have, during the middle of the feast, Jesus is found in the temple teaching. Jesus' teaching, it marvels the Jews, because Jesus is teaching from a standpoint of knowledge and authority. It was not customary for 
any Jewish rabbis to teach in authority. They would quote one another, not daring to uh, say with authority any of their teachings. And they want to know, these Jews want to know, who Jesus studied under. He did not study under any of the notable rabbis. He did not attend any of the the popular schools or teachings that were going on. And in verse 16, we have Jesus saying, My doctrine is not my own, but it's of God the Father who sent me. And here's a test of my teaching. Do I seek my own glory or do I glorify my Father? who happens to have no unrighteousness in him. Verse 19, Jesus will condemn the Jewish leaders. Moses gave you the law. And then he goes, yet none of you keep the law. Now, that was a slap in the face to them. So, consequently, why do you seek to kill me? Is that not breaking the law? And Jesus, he condemns this group of religious leaders for breaking the Mosaic law, plotting to kill him. And notice none of these leaders keep the law. But they have an answer to the charge from Jesus. And it's a a charge that is uh, blasphemy. Jesus, you have a demon. Nobody is seeking to kill you. But Jesus knew they were. Verse 21, and then Jesus will point back to the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And he told this lame man that he had healed, take up your bed and walk. And this is something that they can't get past, that Jesus would command this man to take up his bed and walk. Jesus has commanded this man, the man that was lame 38 years, okay, you're healed. Now take up your bed and walk. That's surprising because in their minds that's, in definite conflict with working on the Sabbath. And Jesus had purpose in each and every miracle he performed. Jesus finds this man that he healed in temple and he told, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. We find Jesus finding a lame man who was a fixture by the pool's side there at Bethesda, and he wants to expose the doctrine of no working on Sabbath. Jesus is going out of his way to bring about conflict in the minds of these Jewish leaders. And he he declares to the Jewish leaders, none of you keep the Mosaic law, for you seek to kill me, breaking even your interpretation of the law. 
And he says, the law that you hold so dear and accuse me of, you yourselves do not keep it. Then he cites Moses' circumcision, verse 22. Moses gave you circumcision, and you circumcise on the Sabbath. That, by the way, is a work. And you do that because you don't want to break the law of circumcision. And you want to kill me because I did a work on the Sabbath, yet you also work on the Sabbath. And the reason you want to kill me is because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath. Why can't the people and their religious leaders get the point of Jesus' miracle and his teaching of the lame man's healing on the Sabbath? Why can't they get past this? Jesus, he's made a point. He healed on the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath. And he told the man that he healed to take his bed up and walk. The working on the Sabbath happens to be one of the Ten Commandments that is not reinforced in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus makes a point to work on the Sabbath to bring about uh, the responsibility of the people that God is above and capable of doing good on the Sabbath, and it breaks no law. Let's read verses 25 through 31. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because excuse me, his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man does? Verse 25 there, some of the people, they're convinced that Jesus' Words have penetrated their heart. Is this not he whom they seek to kill? And they're wondering why the Jewish leaders are silent. Only moments before the Jews declare he has a demon. And By the way, Jesus, who is trying to kill you? Jesus' words have reached the people. Here Jesus is. He's in temple, speaking boldly, and the Jewish leaders are doing nothing. 
and the people want to know, do our rulers know that this is truly the Christ? And then they say, but we know where Jesus is from. But the Christ, no one knows where he is from. And Jesus says, you claim to know me and where I'm from, but I come from my Father, whom you do not know. And then the Jewish leaders seek to take Jesus or arrest him. But no one can. For Jesus, his hour had not yet come. Jesus' timing, when you look at his life, is impeccable. It's perfect. He's never early. He's never late. And we see him doing many things and teaching lessons simply at the right moment. Many times, God will have us wait. For what? For that hour, for that moment where he intercedes on our behalf. We can't get ahead of God. We try. I, I do it all the time, try to get ahead of God. He'll give me a promise, and that's, that's for now. But it isn't. And I have to wait. I'll have to wait for his hour. Verse 31 and many of the people believe in Jesus, and they proclaim, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this man Jesus has done? And then we have Jesus sitting there in the temple teaching, going directly to the Jewish people. And Jesus will not allow the Jewish leaders with their temple guards to arrest him. That's peculiar. They had the authority. They had the backing of the high priest. But Jesus will not allow them to arrest him or even to interrupt his teaching. Jesus is declaring the truth to the people and he demands that they hear it. And Jesus says, hey, my hour has not yet come. That's why you can't do anything with your temple guards and so forth. Jesus is telling these Jewish leaders, you cannot come and take me, for my hour is not yet come. Remember Jesus said of the cross, no one takes my life, I lay it down. The people, they wonder, they're in wonder why their religious leaders are inactive. <clears throat> why are they silent? And the people ask, do our leaders know that Jesus is the Christ? Some of the people, verse 25 and then in verse 31, many of the people, they now believe in Jesus. They've heard of his miracles. 
But the people now, they respond to the words, to the teaching of Jesus. And I find that very interesting. Miracles do not cause us to believe. It's the word resonating in our heart of who Jesus is that strikes home and we believe. The people have responded to the words of Jesus. Now, how do we apply that? When we witness to our friends, when we witness to our neighbors, give them the words of Jesus. We can reason with people, but if you give them the words of Jesus, that is something the Holy Spirit can get all over. He tells us that his word will not return void. Give them God's word. He honors his word. He causes people to believe because of his word. It gives the Holy Spirit something to work with in a heart and a life. So, when you pray for your unsaved friends and loved ones, and we all have them, pray that their eyes will be opened and that the Word of God will penetrate their heart. There is power in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we are so tempted at times to <clears throat> give our logic in our testimony of why a person should believe, and we try desperately to be logical and practical in our, in our witnessing of you, Jesus. But if we would just give them your word, you tell us you will honor your word. Let us trust in your word. Let us learn to allow your word to have its proper place in our lives and in the lives we speak to, Lord. So, give us boldness. Boldness to declare what you proclaim. You've been very open with the Jewish people in your teachings to them and that no man comes to the Father except through you. And Lord, may we realize that. May that strike home with us. We, we have yet to save one person, but you're in the business of saving, Lord. You're the one who gives salvation. And may we proclaim your words as we <clears throat> witness to our friends, family, neighbors, whoever, Lord. May we depend upon your word to reach and touch lives. And so, Lord... Help us, help us to be men and women of your word and allow it its proper place in hearts and lives. We pray for this and we ask this in your name, Jesus.